Heavy and simple. And hell, after 25, 30 years, we're still talking about Cthulhu. So, Dan, this is episode one of Discography Discussion. Yeah, it sure is. Can you tell us what band we're doing? Uh, Metallica. Really? Who are they? We're going to start with Metallica? Yeah, Metal Liquor, I think is what it is. Metal Liquor, Metal liquor, right? Okay, so I read that right. Okay. What, what's the goal of this? What are, what what exactly are we setting out to do? Uh, well, we're just three dudes to talk about metal. Um, specifically, we try to categorize it by band. Um, that's not to say that certain discussions don't bleed into others, but uh, you know, it's a thing that we're doing. So um, we're going to talk about the band's discussion. Introduce yourself. Oh, me? Introduce yourself. Oh yeah, I'm a Frankfurter. Oh, can I be riffraff? Uh, if you want. Actually, my name's Dan. And I'm Joe. Josh. All right. And Josh. And if anybody cares, we're listening to the new album, Hardwired to Self-Destruct, while we have this discussion. Yeah, we are. You just can't hear it because, you know, Metallica, lawyers, internet, that sort of thing. You know, that, just, pesky, just, that pesky thing, Lars will show up here any minute now. Right. Which, you know, we would love that. Um, he'd be really upset, though. <laughs> it We'd would be to, cool for about six minutes. We and would then, definitely yeah. have to, you know. <laughs> oh, we are him. definitely not doing this Napster thing again. Right, for sure. Yeah, I don't care about the downloads, guys. <laughs> I thought I would just wake up one morning and become the most hated man in rock music. <laughs> How much money would you have to pay Lars Ulrich to play the new album while we talk? I don't know. If he listens to this podcast, then he is fe- he can uh, he can contact me if he wants. Give um, him your email address. Hit no, me up, Lars. Not, not on a live <laughs> podcast. But if Lars wants to get a hold of me, there's ways. Right. His peeps, call our peeps. Right. Get it done. You know. So right off the bat. I'm going to start with Josh. Favorite Metallica album? Hmm. Ride the Lightning for me. Dan? Uh, Justice for All. Master of Puppets. Nice. Well, this will be well represented. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Next question. Was Death Magnetic a good album? <laughs> <laughs> it oh depends boy. on how you want to look at it. As a studio album, eh, it was okay. I prefer to listen to that album live like me and Dan have discussed in the, the past. It's too light. It's not very heavy. Some of the songs are too, I don't want to say simplistic. They're just kind of like drug on and on and on. You could cut, you could cut some of the riffs that you would just cut, slow it down two or three minutes. Songs, I, yeah, songs are way too long. Definitely a lengthy album. Well, you were the, actually the one who told me that you thought Hardwired was a return to heavy. And yeah. And, I, and I'm the one that says that Hardwired and Death Magnetic. The only difference between the two is how they're how the drums are mixed. I think what I said, Joe, was that uh, it was the return to aggressive. I didn't find De- Death Magnetic to be very aggressive. But would it have been aggressive if the drums had been mixed not by Rick Rubin? No, because who records your album has nothing to do with how aggressive you are. That is true. You really That's... don't think that it's it's not as heavy or that Death Magnetic was the same? I think I feel like this is just a heavier downtune. I mean, everything in Deathmatic was done pretty much in standard. It's just, there's just so light. I don't know, it's just not a ballsy, beefy sound. It's that Rick Rubin lack too, of too thickness. It's too clean cut, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't have a lot of bad to say about Magnetic. It's just that the songs went on for too long. <clears throat> I thought that the recording quality was somewhat flat, like maybe the balls had been taken out of it. Well, I think, like Joe said, that's a Rick Rubin thing for sure on that. I mean, that's his influence. It's, that's that's that American recordings, like yeah. early, right, but, early 90s, late 80s. Like, 
Which is surprising because he's done analog hip hop sound is the word I'm going for. Yeah, but this is Metallica, okay? I mean, you, they don't have any say as to how their record sounds. Yeah, but obviously I mean, they, they went along with it. Anger. Did Johnny yeah. Cash get to decide how the American recording sounded? Or did Rick Rubin decide? Yeah, but that sounded great. Didn't they? Yeah. So why didn't Death Magnetic sound equally as awesome? Because it wasn't Johnny Cash. <laughs> We're talking two totally different types of sound here. That is true. They talked him into it. Talked him into going lighter. Talked him into going he- not as heavy. Yeah, I guess so. No, so, I mean, it's the truth. Yeah. He's uh, James has said in interviews numerous times and how when they approached that album that Rick Rubin had pretty much had told them, like, you guys don't have to have it, you know, sound so heavy all the time. You guys can you just keep it simple, playing a standard tune, and that's what they went with, unfortunately. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you look at the down to you know, garbage can sound of St. Anger, and I think Death Magnetic was really more of an attempt to be like, hey, look, you know, that was just a one-off. We're not going to go in that direction again. We're really sorry that you guys didn't like the way that record sounded. Um, but, but it was think, just I don't us think Saint Anger is a bad album. I think it's I think it was the studio again. It's, it sounds bad in the studio, but I think Saint Anger when you listen to the tracks live, I think they're actually pretty kick ass tunes on that album. Some of them are, which is why you got to ask the question why why isn't it conveyed the same way on the album? Because I listen to Saint Anger and I watch that documentary, and I'll I'll get into the documentary later about. You know, Metallica has been filming themselves from day one, so it's not like they decided to make that documentary. But fair enough. Saint Anger, it, I get the impression it was mixed badly on purpose. Well, it, yeah, I mean, they, you know, according to the according to Bob Rock and the documentary, you know, they say that we wanted it to sound like a band that got together for the very first time in a garage, in a garage. and that <laughs> band is Metallica. Yeah, but the problem is, is we've already had that record for decades. It's called yeah, Kill, Kill Them All. all. You know, so it's called Garage Inc. Right. So I mean, I don't know what was so wrong with Kill 'Em All that they felt like they needed to try to do it again. So doesn't that mean the Saint Anger is more of a what what it would sound like if a band was jamming in the garage and they were being mixed by Bob Rock? Okay, so full disclosure, you know what Saint Anger sounds like to me? It sounds like a whole bunch of middle aged dudes in a garage trying to sound like they were seventeen. Trying to recapture their youth and and not not progressing and moving forward. Unfortunately, it just wasn't what we wanted as fans. And um, you're right. Yeah, it sucks in that regard. And that you know you want to have a certain amount of respect for a band that you like, but you listen to Saint Anger and like, you know, when I first got Saint Anger, I remember because like me and Josh bought it like the same day, and um, we listened to it. And I think I went over to Joe's house and, and listened to it. We listened to it on his uh, entertainment center and. You know, we were all about it, you know, for about what, like four days? Like, this is, yeah, you know, I was because. Like, oh, it's new Metallica. It, so it has to be good, right? If it's not good, we just don't get it. Yeah. You know, that's what it's got to be. Um, and, you know, here I am, you know, several <laughs> years later, and I just, I really am not entirely sure what the thought process was. I mean, I know that they tried to explain it with the Some Kind of Monster DVD, but. Um, I don't think you'll ever get a full explanation. It's just the lyrics are weird, and I, I don't know if it's just because James coming out of rehab, it was new, it was a fragile state of mind, it's not the headfield we all know. Right. The whole idea with Lars's snare drum, I don't, I mean, I don't get that, I never will understand that. I guess it's what we chalk it up to, they tried something different and it, it failed, didn't, you know, it wasn't yeah. that great. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, um, it definitely wasn't making any top ten no, lists. no. Um, at least not good lists. But, I mean, I would say that probably the best 
angle for this discussion would be we got to start at the beginning. We got to give some kind of perspective on where we've come from. You know, anybody can make a podcast about how bad St. Anger is. And, you know, we're about like, what, eight, nine years late, you know, making that podcast. Yeah, half, more than halfway through their career. Right. So, I mean, you know, we, we've got two new albums since then. And um, we just got to go back to the beginning, man. You know, what, what made Metallica, Metallica, you know, thrash metal, thrash metal <laughs> because i love to hear it no matter how many times i have what is thrash metal dan <laughs> <laughs> oh man so thrash metal is kind of like a mixture of your yes okay so you've got like iron maiden is on one side of the spectrum in the sense that they are what i would consider to be the essential definition of heavy metal you know um a lot of old guys are going to say it's black sabbath and they're probably right but this is not eh. their podcast so um <laughs> I'm going to go with Iron Maiden as my choice for heavy metal, okay? But then, you know, what do you do about, about you know, the kind of the punk rock aspect of thrash metal? Because you take something like Iron Maiden, which is just, like, so up its own butt with solos and, and, and atmospheric-sounding, you know, melodies, um, you take that energy and you amp it up by 11 because you basically, you know shoot cocaine into everyone's brains and you end up with with heavy metal with a more punk rock sensibility and i think that to me that's what thrash metal is it's it's like traditional heavy metal but with a lot more balls it's a lot more speed it's a lot more crunch it's a lot more extremity it's it's faster paced songs and that that kind of fuck you mentality that punk gave you from the early 70s and absolutely early 80s i mean this is fuck the world. This is what we do. This is what we sound like. Take it or leave it. Yep. Mix of attitudes. Right. And from that, we get what we're going to be listening to now for anybody that wants to keep up. First thing you hear, you put on Kill 'em All, and you just get this fade in of. You get assaulted. The band. <laughs> uh, that's an even better. I feel it's, like it's I an assault of <laughs> volume. Right. Everything just coming at you and. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's coming Do you in. Know like, what can you you're imagine? In for? Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? You know, you're holding the vinyl record in your hands, right? And like, there's you a know, blood-soaked you got, there's, hammer, blood soaked hammer on the cover. Like, you know, what is this shit? And then suddenly, before you know it, you're getting bludgeoned in the head with that hammer. You know, like the the band doesn't apologize at all. They don't lead you in easily. It is literally just like, yeah, okay, here we are. Now we're thrashing. There's nothing you can do about it. If you don't like it, there's the door. If you make it that far, that's <laughs> gonna say, do you make it that far? Because you've just been dead. No, I. I mean, I remember definitely being firmly planted, right in, right there. You know, and um, you know, I'd like to be that guy that says, you know, oh yeah, I got it way back in the day, and I heard the No Wife to Leather demo tape before that. I'm not that guy. Okay, I'm I'm a kid that you know listened to Metallica when you know Metallica probably wasn't even making this kind of music anymore. Oh but, no, Justice was the first album I ever got as a kid, first cassette tape. Yeah. I mean, that was the first cassette tape I got, and then... You still got that? Um, no, the only cassette tape I got is a Kill 'em All cassette tape. Oh, okay. I don't know what happened to the other ones. Yeah, I'll bring that over sometime. One. We'll jam it in my... Uh, oh, yeah. I got one of those, like, retro things for Christmas. Oh, yeah. It's got, like, a tape player, a vinyl player, a CD player. Yeah, put, put them all in. Whole collection. Yeah, dude. Three versions of Kill 'em All. That's all, right. All running play at the same them all time. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kill 'em All was aggressive. Um, Hetfield's <clears throat> voice had a snarl to it uh, that was just, I mean... 
it was really refreshing at the time, I think, uh, and especially for me. Um, I mean, for the longest time, Kill 'Em All was probably the most aggressive album that I had. It was the one that definitely made my parents the most uncomfortable. Um, Can't imagine why. Right. I mean, it's just it's just solos, balls to the wall, thrashing, mind melting metal. Right. I mean, it, it it's you know, I have nothing but good things to say about Kill 'Em All. Um, What's your favorite song? Oh man, uh, you know I'm a really big fan of Phantom Lord. I was gonna say yeah. that's so joking. It's the same thing I was gonna say. Just the way that song is put together, melodic breakdown, killer solos. Mm-hmm. Uh, just oh, the, all the lyrics are just oh, it grabs you by the balls. Right. Well, I like to how it starts off like a little like there's like two seconds of like atmospheric sound, and then it's like no, dude, this is kill 'em all. You know, <laughs> it's like you're you're just you're right back in. <laughs> it's right, I mean, like and begin. It's like all right, guys, here's your break. A oh, break's over. You know, like, and we're back uh, to kicking ass, right? You know, there's there's no there's no middle ground there. Um, I, dig, I dig the fact that this is an album that has a bass solo on it. Oh, right, Harley. yeah. And for people that had seen Metallica up till that point, it was not new to listen to Cliff Burton play this very bass solo, which is Anesthesia. I still don't think it's even really a popular thing today, with even in live venues. I mean, how often do you see? Bass players play solos. I mean, bass Robert players really does, but aren't. Bass players really aren't. Um, it's just not focused. There are yeah. well, there's there's two types Is of there bass a skill player. level to even be able to play a solo. Well, there's literally two types of bass player though, right? There's there's people that can play the bass, and then there's everyone else. You know, in the sense that a lot of people think that they can just strap a bass on and they can play really basic versions of what the guitar just player is playing. It. Yeah, and it's just um, you know, it's just not it's not helpful. To the overall sound, and I think that was the interesting thing about Cliff Burton was that he was like, "No, I'm in Metallica. I can thrash just as hard as anyone else. Um, I can come up with my own unique compositions." Um, and you just, yeah, you didn't hear that. And what's funny is that Anesthesia really is probably the most melodic moment on the oh my record. Gosh, the intricacies you know? of the notes that he plays. I mean, you don't hear anybody play that style. I don't think I can ever recall anybody who's ever played bass like that. Since then, really, yeah, I mean, not that, in recent memory. I mean, if you can find me a bass player that can play intricate solos like that, or just to play the parts, I mean, looks in Master of Puppets, and I think it's really noticeable with his bass lines. I mean, half the music starts off with any kind of bass solo from him in the first place. Yeah, I mean, one of the major scrutinies I hear of bass players is you're either a good bass player or you play the bass like a guitar. Right. And Cliff Burton is the only bass player I've ever heard who plays the bass. Like a guitar, mm. right? But he's playing bass. He probably could have played guitar. Other honestly. guys just play More like, okay, yeah. what's the guitar yep. player playing? He's playing open. He's playing three. He's playing five. And the bass player is just following right along. Cliff Burton's the only bass player I know who plays it like a guitar, but well, plays it like a bass. It it really is. I wouldn't call it a unique style, but it's definitely his style. Keep in mind, this was take one. You know, yeah, no kid. He just, mean, he they just, were just like, you know what, done. Just stop it. They there. just turned the tape recorder on, and we're like, all right. Yeah, I mean, if you want warm to warm up, yeah. if it sounds bad, we just won't put it on the record. And then you know, he drops that slab of. I just would. Lo- I would have loved to have, have seen the look on Johnny Zulu's face when they're doing this. He's just like, you know what, this is fucking great. Yeah, done. We're just. It's that's it. We're, that's that's a song on the album. Let's do it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Cliff, you good? Yep. Okay. Next. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked Phantom Lord, obviously, Anesthesia. I mean, there's, there's not really 
There, there's no songs on Kill 'Em All where I'm like, yeah, except that one. That's yeah. the one I always skip. Metamilitia is another one that I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that one's good. Seek and Destroy, obviously, all time classic. You know, Four Horsemen. I mean, uh, Motor Breath. You know, they're they're all great. Um, the downside thing I will say to Kill 'Em All is that it is the least musically interesting album that Metallica released, and that Kill 'Em All was all about energy. It was an establishment. This was the new norm. Yep. This is what metal sounds like now, kids. I hope you're on board. You know, um, fast, crazy, one speed on. Right. You know, um, Hetfield sounds amazing. You know, um, Hammett sounds great. Um, everything just everything flows together really well. The problem with Kill 'Em All, though, is that you have basically it's not a very dynamic record. It's not to say that there's not dynamics in it. I mean, there are melodic segments in there, um, but nothing like we would hear on puppets or no, as on a whole. Lightning. It's just pretty much one speed, one dynamic from right. start to finish. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you know. Um, the thing about a band in a full career is to see see you know versatility. Where okay, you did this one really great thing for us. What else can you do? Yeah, what's the next step for you guys? And the next step was ride the lightning. Yeah, not yeah. Well, yeah. And what a difference in pace that was from the first album. Right. I mean, it starts off with a melodic intro, um, which you know eventually does also start to it. It still picks up the hammer and beats you to half oh, yeah. to death with it. You know, but. <laughs> Um, but only half, times. only half to death, you know. <laughs> you're not completely dead. You're just almost dead. <laughs> right. Well, and what's interesting about uh, Lightning, too, is that it's more socially conscious, I think, than Kill 'Em All was. Kill 'em All was all like, I hate you. I'm going to spit in your face. I'm going to piss all over your family. You know, this it was tackles a very... more issues, social issues that right. you would so not expect. One, this from one's a band talking like about this. nuclear war and, you know, problems with the justice system, which they would revisit oh, later. Oh, gosh. You know, um, repeatedly throughout their career. Right. And, uh, you know, Lightning was just, I mean, it was all around, it was the real deal. It was the total package in mm-hmm. the sense that you have you have very complex melodic songs that are still heavy as they could be at that time. You know, um, it's just, uh, everything sounds bigger on Lightning. Oh, it, <clears throat> which I think is probably why that band took a step forward and head and shoulders above everybody else in that time period. Everyone else on our second, third album was pretty much a repeat of the first album. Correct. And most of the bands who failed in the 80s, I mean, unfortunately, they followed the same recipe right. as their first previous albums. And very few bands can be successful. I mean, I think bands like Slayer are the only ones that you can think of that pretty much stay pretty Slayer similar. sounds like Slayer yeah, yeah, I mean, all the you time. Know, they, yeah. you know, they, they're they're going to sound that way from the beginning is to the end, whereas Metallica, you got that progression. I think that proves why that they were head and shoulders above everybody else when this album came out. Yeah, I mean, Lightning. I, there's just nothing I can say about Lightning that's that's critical. Um, it's, it's, in a sense, one of the perfect Metallica records. Mm-hmm. Ride the Lightning, to me, was always that record. It's an example of a band... If if your complaint about a band that you like is that the first album sounded way better than the second album, or <laughs> or it didn't sound like the same band, you know, whatever reason, it, it, the music was too thick, it was too thin, it was too slow, it was too this, it was too that. Ride the Lightning is an example of the exact same band to me, the exact same band, the exact same sound, but improved on. Right. If you could get Kill 'Em All mixed. And I'm going to use the word thick because the guitar is just, it's obviously, it's like obviously razor mo- wire. more yeah. time I was, say, was put into Ride the Lightning's guitar tone. Oh, yeah. Bass is still present. Drums are still present. Vocals, it's all the same. It's just a little bit better. Kill Ball sounds like it was, it was recorded through a tape recorder. And Puppets was even better. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> it probably same. was. Yeah, it probably was through a tape recorder. 
I mean, here's a hundred dollars. We got to reproduce this album, right? Well, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's thicker, it's chunkier on uh, Lightning, and I mean, it just oh, the the solos are still cutting though, and mm. it actually it actually accentuates the solos more, cutting through that beefy guitar tone. Um, I think they really approached more of a wall of noise uh, on. Oh yeah, which is weird because like, how many bands can you name that got? 100% more melodic on their second record, but 100 times heavier. How does it's that almost work? Like an, it's you know, almost like, like an oxymoron. Like, does that even exist? Right. Well, it does. Yeah, Ride it does. The it's called Ride the Lightning. Yeah, Ride yeah, the Lightning. You love it. Yeah. Oh, it's. I think for, for me, especially being someone who plays lead guitar, the progression from Kirk's solos from Kill Em All to Ride the Lightning is just pure mastery. To take the solos he had from Kill Em All where it's just a thousand notes a second, and in the and killer and ride the lightning, you can hear feeling like you can feel how he feels when he writes these solos, especially fade to black. I mean, and he's talked numerous times about when he wrote that solo, they were on the road, their band gear had just been stolen, they didn't know if they were going to be able to recover from that. Right, he was depressed. I mean, you can feel that stuff in their music in the second one, the feeling and the emotion and stuff, but especially in James's lyrics, yeah, is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's um, what's your top? Kirk Hammett solo. Oh man, that's a tough one to nail down off the hat. Um, Way to just drop that bomb. I know, no shit. Um, <laughs> a Ride the Lightning solo is definitely up there as one of my one one or two for sure. Um, Cthulhu's another one I was always a big fan of just because how melodic it is. It's all over the place. Ride the Lightning's probably my favorite. I revert to that all the time. As much Just as I would crazy. like to say that Unforgiven is not the best solo he's ever played, it is. Oh, I agree with you 100%. It is definitely, for what it is and for the style he plays and for as great as it sounds, yeah, it's definitely one of his best solos. Well, the thing about Kirk on Lightning is I think Lightning in a lot of ways was Kirk's first album. Well, and I agree with you too. Yeah. I mean, because he was coming into pre-written lyrics or pre-written music. So yeah, in a sense, this was his first album where he brought his own ideas, his own fresh material. But I mean, the songs were basically there on, on Kill 'Em All, you know. He just, you know, he'd play the solos the way he wanted to play them. That was really the only creative. Yeah, I mean. Everything else was more or less written by Mustaine. Yeah, he had no input. Ryan Lightning, that's definitely what he would see tell his us. influence well, in the band a for sure. A lot of Kill 'Em All was written by Mustaine. Yep. That's what that's what Dave would tell us. Yeah, yep, that's right. <laughs> and Dave, if you're listening, we get it, buddy. We get it, dude. Anytime you want to come over and just get a big hug, you got. I one, love buddy. Megadeth just as much as I love Metallica. So you're the good. name of the song is Mechanics, depending on what day it is. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and who's asking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh my goodness, we're listening to Trapped Under Ice right now, and it just really is reinforcing to me how badass of a song that is. Um, I just. I don't, the energy is still there. Um, Lars sounds better. <laughs> well, Lars sounds better uh, on these first three albums than he sounds for the rest of his career. Um, I, I'm going to commit a little bit of blasphemy here and say this album almost sounds like an '80s record. Well, it, listening it, to Ride the Lightning, it is an 80s well. There's that. Well, record. it was it was made in the '80s, but it never sounded like <laughs> an '80s record. But if you listen, it sounded more modern at the time. It's a little for sure. more like okay, an that '80s gets, record. Okay, so it's because I think I get what he's saying yeah. there. I mean, it. it it, if you told me it was a glam rock band, I would almost believe you. I would actually yeah, say this is that. the heaviest glam band I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I, of course, I thought that about the Black Album, but yeah. Uh, well, and look at that. This is the most commercial successful album of all time. <laughs> Very true. Um, I mean, and so like you, you take a record like Lightning, right? And you're like, it's it's perfect. 
There's literally nothing the band can do at this point that would be better than that. One and then they think. put out puppets. And then they put out puppets. Yeah, you're like, you're like oh here, my let's God. take another yeah. giant step forward. And yeah, you know, that's when all the church people had to be like, yeah, this band's obviously sold their souls to Satan because there's no way they could just continuously create material that's this good. And the and the awesome part is by this point in their career, they were so huge and so popular from playing live and were playing so awesome at it that nobody had heard of them outside of their circles. Yeah, they, you know, yeah. their their inner circles. Like I mean, these guys were playing sold out arenas and stuff before, you know, like they've said before MTV even knew who the hell they were. <laughs> right. Yeah, no videos. That's right. Know, yeah, like who the hell is this band that's selling, you know, just an asinine amount of records? <laughs> the one thing about Metallica that I've always noticed through their first 5 albums, they had a habit of starting very small. Almost like you were trying to trick the other people in the house into what you were listening to. <laughs> so Kill, Kill Em All starts silent, and then it fades into this onslaught. Ride the Lightning, you get that signature James Hetfield, very pretty classical guitar. Same thing with Master of Puppets. You get this very dissonant, very classically inspired intro that just builds to the onslaught that I is say battery. You get, you get thrashed sense of security. to death. That's I right. mean, it's, you're just... You feel secure and safe for the first 10 seconds. Like, ah, okay, this is going to be fun. And then it's like, Jesus, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, you're like, okay, so they finally <laughs> took a chill pill. It's going to be okay. Like, okay. It's and not bam. okay. One minute in, it's not okay. You're fighting for your life, you know? Um, <laughs> Someone's killing me with a battery right now. Which is funny, too, because when I first heard uh, battery, I thought, wow, it's like kill them all again. You know, like, I mean, it's it's, you know... It's got all the modern production, and it sounds better, and yep. it's, it's quality just, was great. It flows, yeah, but like, I mean, it's it's that energy, that punk yep. energy is back, and you're like, oh my goodness. And granted, this is at a time though, at this point, where thrash metal is now an accepted thing. Yes, you know, it's commercially acceptable. There, there were certainly heavier bands than Metallica at this point, oh, sure. but you know, it didn't matter because they did what they did so well that it. Nobody, nobody cared about that stuff. You know, I, I swear it wasn't until the '90s that people started being like, "This isn't heavy," so I hate it. You know, like, I mean, is the thing that should not be still the heaviest song ever recorded? Uh, that that'd be a solid no, Joe. But uh, <laughs> but at the time, yeah, you know, I mean, would have been what drop D. So yeah, yeah I mean, I listened to that would have been. I listened to a lot of doom metal bands like My Dying Bride and stuff like that, and um, right, that's right. a lot heavier, but. Um, in a different kind of way. For Metallica, um, Dan, for Metallica, it was heavy. Not compared to Justice, but we're not talking about Justice yet. <coughs> um, no, I mean, I, God, Puppets is just so great. I mean, it's it's hard to, it's like Lightning, there's really not a lot of bad things to say about Puppets. I mean, it it, it more melodic than Ride the Lightning. See, Heavier I, than Ride the Lightning. I mean, it, it just. See, I think this is Lars's best album is this. I, I think he that. plays the best on this album. He just sounds he just sounds good on this album. He sounds angry. Yeah. And you know, they were all angry. <laughs> I, I heard Bob Rock say in an interview once about Lars that he's the only drummer that actually plays with the music. <laughs> yeah. That's always been one thing about him that I I do look up to is he plays with what is going on around him. Which, oh, that little Danish guy. Which begs the question, is the drummer supposed to be doing that or he's supposed to be playing the beat? But it works for what he does. I was going to say, it fits well with them, so I well, guess he follows. Well, he follows James, uh, which is uh, a Probably little... Probably smart thing. <laughs> it's a little different, though. I mean, I would follow um, James if then, I had the option. It's a little different, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the sense that, you know, it's not typically what drummers do. Um, 
Lars I'm the drummer, is I play the beat. He's definitely not my favorite drummer, but there's something to be said though about like how he uh So like one time I was listening to um I don't think it was off Pup. Maybe it was off Pup. No, it was Orion. I was listening to Orion and um, another one of my favorites. And my dad came in. And my dad, you know, never has anything to good about good to say about anything released before 1970, you know, or anything <laughs> after 1970 rather. Um but we were listening to Orion and he's like, "Yeah, you hear that drummer?" That's the only good drummer I've ever heard you listen to. Oh, wow. Because it was very... Really? It was in the pocket. And again, there, you can't say anything about the way Lars drums sound. I mean, they sound perfect. You know, just huge, you know, um, two bass pedals. And yes, I can tell the difference between a double bass double pedal bass and, and two bass drums, two bass drums set up next to each other, you know. Um, and I, it just it, it, it just... it sounds good. It sounds solid. It's right in the pocket. He's not going to ever win any awards for being a mega technical drummer or anything of, of that nature, but Lars was a very good backbone to the band. And Hetfield sounds so much different than this album as the first two, too, which is which is awesome. His singing came a long way. Yep. Yeah, you could definitely tell that he had actually put some time and effort into vocals and not just get up there and bark, right, or scream, or you know, and that's hard to do in metal. Yeah, you know, it, I that's mean, no kidding. He actually had to sing some of these parts. I mean, it's just you know, and probably let's be honest too, you know. They were what, 17, 18 when they started? Yeah, I mean. You know, so by the time this comes out, they're, you know, in their early 20s. So, I mean, sure, he probably does sound a lot different. He didn't want to sing in the first place. So, I mean, that has come a long way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> like, who uh, else is going to do it? And James is like, I guess I will. I guess I'll do it. Yeah. You <laughs> know, mean, well, I think, you know, when he started, it was an easier deal than, oh, it, yeah. than it became. You know, this is a guy that, you know, eventually starts doing, you know, vocal warm-ups before shows, you know, which is just crazy in, in, in the general idea of metal as we think of it. Yep. You know, in, in metal, you're supposed to just get up there and do it. You're not supposed to practice. You're not what, like to, Axl you know, Rose? Have a bottle of champagne and smoke some cigars? Exactly, you know. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Um, one of the biggest things about Metallica, though, is, you know, you get to, um, you get to something like Puppets. And I like puppets. I thought it was aggressive. I thought it was heavy. At the same time, though, I started listening to heavier bands at this point. So I end up with stuff like Slayer. <laughs> Slayer. And um, I was getting into death metal a little bit uh, at the time. Again, this is years later, so a lot of that stuff is available. I can't really speak of it as like um, a time-based thing. I don't know what was going on in the scene at that time. But... Um, Metallica, after a while, I felt like I kind of outgrew in a heaviness perspective. You know, and then I heard Justice, and it was all good. You know, like... Um, <laughs> they brought me back. <laughs> it really did. And for an album that essentially has no bass... <laughs> oh, I know. Doesn't yeah. that just drive you nuts? And it's just that that's one of their biggest pet peeves to this date, is the no bass that you can hear at all in this album. Can you imagine if they went back and remixed the oh originals? My God. And, I mean, it would be... it would be. I mean, hell, even if... Even, yeah, remastering it, hell, even if you could go back and just redo it. I'm just going to ask the question. Metallica owns all their own masters. Why have we not gotten... And justice for all with Jason. Maybe they're mad. Uh, maybe they're mad. Like, is at Jason. is the joke know. still that funny? <laughs> like we were treating him like crap when we first brought him in. Well, he was the new guy, and he was no Cliff Burton. That's I mean, right. let's just get that out of the way now. He, he, he yeah, he, but at at this point, okay, the the whole joke is supposed to be that he was the new guy, and we were hazing him. Okay, is the joke still funny? Or can I have an album in, with the bass? Yeah, on not it? in 2016. It's not. Yeah, you know? no. 
He probably wishes it would have been. But yeah, I mean, where's our where's our remastered Injustice for All? I know, kid, you did it with the other albums. But like, oh my god, Blackened. Blackened just murders me. I can't think of a better song than Blackened off the top of my head most of the time. Except Dyer's Eve. It's way better. Check it out. Um, but like, uh, I don't know. Blackened was just so heavy. It kicked in. Lars is in the pocket. James is in the pocket. Kirk's in the pocket. Newstead's somewhere buried in the mix. Um, and the lyric content. I mean, uh, just, a, yeah. just a destroying of Earth. I, I really do think this, <laughs> these are the war. best lyrics that James ever wrote. Oh, wow. Uh, on if if not, yeah, right well. up there with some of the best lyrics for sure. Well, I one mean, thing I noticed is that the songs are a little more personal on Justice too, or political. They definitely got more political. And well, sure, yeah, definitely in this album more than he had any other album in the past. I'm mainly talking about Dyer's Eve, I guess. I, I love that song so much. Um, it's a great song. I don't I don't disagree at all. You know, growing it hits home for you a little bit more than it yeah. Would I mean, for growing myself, growing I mean. up in a religious household, um, a song like Dyer's Eve just like really. Um, it just really sticks with me. I can't really. Um, I don't know. I. It just it, it strikes a chord with me personally. Um, See, this is a song I think doesn't get enough credit. We're listening to the I Am Beholder now. Oh yeah. Nobody ever talks about this song in this album. It's always everything else. But oh, it's this so one. great. In Flames did a really good cover of this really? song. Yeah. Um, not as good as the original, of course. Another but. thing about Justice that I'd like to say is, in I always thought that Justice was the best musical arrangements that they did because Metallica's notoriously had short songs mm-hmm. and they've had long songs and the joke when they were making Saint Anger was about bringing back Riffarama to quote Lars oh, it's like God. you guys realize you're never going to make justice again stop trying where the right. riffs stop the trying. riffs on justice flow in a way where yeah it's rhythm guitar being taken to its ultimate like let's just keep building and building and building but it, it makes sense. You can't just decide we're going to play the rhythm part longer and it's going to sound cool. Because these are some of the best riffs that they ever wrote. What I find interesting about Justice is it was the first album where James started sounding more like the modern James Hetfield. Yeah, that kind of roar, deep-sounding yeah, he, he was screaming just as much as he was singing, but he was doing both it was at deeper. the same time. Yeah. yeah. It was a definitely a more aggressive record. You could tell they were really pissed off about literally everything. You were more everything. scared of Hetfield at this point than you were previously right, yeah. in the past. Right, you know. Um, this you're is like, actually I don't know the if last I would album that they recorded Hetfield, before you know? he blew his voice out. Yep. And yep. the modern Hetfield yep. began. Yeah, that's when he started taking singing lessons and stuff, you know. Um, but, I mean, he sounds so great on one. I mean, it's just, you know, um, the melodic. I mean, he had sang before, you know, on songs like um, Fade to Black and stuff. Mm. and. And it was okay, but it still sounded like that guy that was shouting on Kill 'Em Alls trying to sing. He sounds like Black Album Headfield on one, you know. And yep. um, it was it was a big achievement for him, which is weird because as a metalhead, I'm not really that concerned about how well someone sings. But like it it's, it changes the dynamic of the band, I think, though, with yeah. having him sound here he does here as opposed to Kill 'Em All or Ride the Lightning. Well, and you're thinking you've got Ride the Lightning and, and puppets right in a row, and it's like. I mean, how much more can the band evolve? I mean, well, obviously they can. You know, uh, they can get heavier. They can get more melodic. They can they can have better vocals, better production. Minus the fact that there's no bass. <coughs> Joe, what's your favorite on this album? On Justice, yeah, one. One is actually my top Metallica song. Period. So I have to say that it's one. Uh, I'm afraid. The subject matter, the, the lyrics, reason. the 
It's just the weirdest composition, the guitar parts that I still pick out things I've never heard before every time I listen to it. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree 100%. with you there. It's a classic. Fred Ends of Sanity has got to be mine for sure. It's such a weird sounding song. It's a weird subject matter. The guitar riffs. I mean, as someone who plays, it's just like try, when, you, when I first started learning the song, it was like, I play through it. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, what is that? Like, how would it, what, what are these riffs don't make sense? Like, Fred Ends of Sanity is the only Metallica song I've ever really desired to play live, but I've never been able to do oh, it. Oh, it's just such just a Just so weird... you can do the Wizard of Oz yep. in the very beginning. Just to get the crowd going. Oh, for sure. Just such a, it's just a jacked up song to play, but God, it sounds, it's just great. It's also the greatest thing Lars ever did vocally. True. That's True. Right. That's right. It's Lars. I, it is <laughs> Lars. I'm pretty sure it's actually from the movie. No, it's no, Lars. It's Lars. I'll have to look that up later. I pitch, thought he confirmed down, that in an interview. It's him. I thought he, I thought he confirmed <laughs> that. And you talk about Dyer's Eve. Like, you know, what is it about Dyer's Eve? Aggression. My favorite thing about metal is aggression, not necessarily heaviness. Um, heaviness is a great part of it, but there's so much anger and so much aggression in Dyer's Eve. It, just vocally, guitar-wise, drum-wise, I mean, it is literally the best album closer I've ever heard. Um, it, it, it sums up everything we've experienced up to that point into one song, um, and I just can't, uh, I can't let it go uh, as a song and, and as just kind of an anthem for heavy metal music at that time. You know, um, a lot of people that were listening to Metallica, like me, maybe, you know, had come from religious backgrounds, um, had always kind of felt like they weren't as in control of their life as they could have been. Uh, so for something like Dyer's Eve to just be this, you know, the world is a terrible, messed up place, and I wasn't properly prepared for it, I was told to be nice to everyone. Well, not everyone was nice to me, you know? Right. Um, it just really, it really cuts deep for me. What's your guys' take on doing instrumentals up to this point? Because up until, I mean, after up until including Justice, they always had an eight, seven, eight, nine minute instrumental piece Yeah, a solid piece instrumental of music song. Yeah. It was just I think, great from beginning to end, and they got away with that for, you know, the better part, what, three albums for sure? Yeah, I mean, Four. I... I think Metallica has composed some of the most interesting instrumental songs I've ever heard. I know they took a lot of that from Blue Oyster Cults mm -hmm. and a little bit from Judas Priest, but the way that they do it is almost... It's not about how pretty it is. It's about how, it's about how they're doing it. Nobody really did it with instrumental the way they do. I'm a big fan of the fact that those are instrumental songs that are interesting from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. um, even for like the non-musician, I think instrumentals are primarily written for musicians. And uh, as a as a vocalist myself, I'm typically not as drawn to instrumentals. But with Metallica, they did it in such a way to where the songs would build and build and build and build, and it really, to a certain extent, it was just, they were just as good as songs as what was on the rest of the record, and you didn't really weren't thinking about the fact that Hetfield's not barking over them. I know it's know? almost like telling a story through music. I mm -hmm. mean, I only bring that up because "To Live Is to Die" in this album is my favorite instrumental from them. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it's you know, and I it's, when I listen to that, I just feel. Like, can one feel their sadness at the loss of Cliff Burton at the time? I mean, you oh, can definitely yeah. feel it in the riffs and that. 
And like like with Dire Z for you, like that song has a lot of personal meaning for me. And so I was just curious what you guys' thoughts were on instrumentals up to that point because as everybody knows, you get to the Black Album, they don't do it. Load, reload, they don't have any. Right. St. Anger, there are no solos, period, which we'll yeah, that later. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, we might have to need. We might need a totally different podcast for oh, Saint Anger. Oh man, I uh, can we do a part two? Uh, maybe you at probably some could point. at this point. We're not even talking about SNL. Well, you mean like <laughs> cut it here and then do the rest of the albums after in a different podcast? No, I meant just Saint Anger. <laughs> it's, it's right. We're doing Metallica, and then there's Metallica the longest Saint Anger. podcast ever recorded. <laughs> I might it's need to be. I Anger. might need to be a few beers in for that one. I was going to uh, say. Let uh, me tell you something, Lars. Right. Yeah, if I may if I may speak to the band directly here. That's right. You know, Lars, yeah. I'm talking to you. <laughs> right. Uh it's cool though. Uh you know, I I I to be honest with you, and this could just be because I'm a lead singer type personality. I didn't really notice that the other albums didn't really have instrumentals on them. Um, that's one of the first thing I'm like, damn it, where's the instrumental? But that's not to take away. James um, Kirk. <laughs> So, I mean, we, we roll into the Black Album, right? The Black Album is really um, obviously the most transitional album for a band that you can imagine. This is where we're more like, people used to call them Hard Rockica once they put out the uh, mm-hmm. Black Album. Label change. But I would disagree, uh, although I wouldn't go as far as to call uh, the Black Album straight thrash metal. It is still very much a heavy metal record um, in every sense of the word. And I think as far as making something... That was more digestible because I think, I think the thing about Kill 'Em All, Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Justice, those are records that are for people that like heavy metal. The Black Album is a record that everyone can enjoy. Yeah, it's a crossover album. It's something commercial that everyone's going to get into. Right. You know, you've got you've got the ballads. You know, even if you're not a big fan of you know songs like Through the Never or The God That Failed or. The you God know, to Fail, one of my favorites yeah, from that album. Yeah, you know, so My good. Friend of Misery is my favorite song on that album, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and th- those are great songs. Uh, but, you know, your girlfriend also likes, you know, Nothing Else nothing Matters. Nothing Else Matters. And The Unforgiven, you know. It's about you, I swear. <laughs> right, yeah, it's totally about you. Love yeah. you, baby. <laughs> I, I know the band, and I had James write this song about you. You know, I wrote it, actually. It was me. Don't look in the don't look in the booklet of the album. It's one thing that I never hear anybody say about, <laughs> about the Black Album is the Black Album is... The sound of it and the way that it flows is very obvious influenced by Bob Rock. Oh, yeah. But it is the only Metallica album that I can honestly say sounds like a good band being challenged by their producer to create something better than what they're capable of. Well, he had said numerous times that was his whole reason being drawn to Metallica was that they weren't capturing that sound that they could be. Right. It's kind of hard though because I listen to mostly underground metal. So mm. when I hear stuff like that, the only thing that, that the word that throws up in my head constantly is, you know, mainstream sellout. Um, and I don't think that the well, black yeah, Dan, album they sell out every time they play, everywhere they play, every right, seat yeah. in the house. I get it, I get it. But you know, I'm just being um, honest here. I mean, come on. Out of the three of us, I wouldn't consider myself to be the biggest Metallica super fan in the room. So when I hear stuff like the Black Album, I I do hear a dumbing down of well, sound. Sure, um, I I I miss the aggression of Dire's Eve and Blackened and Master of Puppets and Battery and um, I miss all that. But here's the thing too: 
you know, it's a free country. I can go back and listen to those songs anytime I want to. So it's not like it's not like in them putting out a more mainstream record that I have somehow lost everything that was, you know, you, you can't go into a band's discography. And that's part of the reason why I like this discography discussion idea so much is that you can't dig into a band's discography and say, okay, I like everything up until the Black Album. And then I stopped as listening. If, yeah, as if, as if... <laughs> The black album existing somehow invalidates what has come before, and that, that's just not true at all. There are some fantastic songs on black album. Mm-hmm. There aren't any, you know, like any other Metallica record. There is not anything that I'm like, this is good, this is good, this is garbage, this is also garbage. You know, um, you could maybe maybe make the argument about something else matters, but in the sense of dynamics and the band, you know, how we've been talking about the band constantly evolving, it was an evolution. It was yeah, it wasn't beat you. Yeah, it was maybe the first time where they were like, okay, maybe this time we won't beat you in the head with the hammer. You know? James is like, what? I, I got to sing it? Oh, okay. I'll try that. Right. And, you know, it was a really great song. It was a big hit for them. Uh, they were the first Metallica hits. And, um, you know, I, you can't fault your favorite band for becoming everyone's favorite band. Oh, God, no. I mean, you know? and it's almost an entire album of hits. Yes. I which mean, is very hard to do. I got I dates hate. with girls on, in high school because I liked Metallica. I mean, that's crazy. I never got I never got any dates for liking Carcass. You know, it's just, you know, uh, what you mean? She just like I don't, I want to go see them. You're like, all right, yeah, I want to go see uh, you know regurgitated guts. You it's, know, it's okay. You know, but you know, you, you know, you, yeah, Metallica writes really cool songs like Nothing Else Matters and and The Unforgiven and you know, like you know, there it was the first it was the first record where it was like everybody could get it, like you got it. Do you think the album would have been different had they had gone with instead of uh, "Enter Sandman" as the first single? If Bob Rock had his way, he wanted "Holier Than Thou" to be the first single. Do you think it would have changed the way the album was successful? I doubt it because I always thought that it was an interesting opinion that he was so adamant about wanting "Holier" to be the first single as opposed to "Sand." I, I think just it makes you wonder if it would have been different or not. I think it would have been the same um, because the rest of the record still exists in its whole form. People, would, you, would you have done Holier as, as the? Would you go and buy, if you had to choose between the two? Would you still have done Sandman as the first single? Or would you go Holier than Now? Absolutely, go with Sandman. Thanks, so. him. In a world where you can argue Sandman's about what are the top five single. I mean, riffs of all time, Sandman, you're splitting hairs. Oh sure, because it's up there. It's one of the riffs when you hear it. Everybody you knows know exactly Sandman what is it is from the first first. Note. I mean, sadly, the song almost makes me sick to listen to now. Oh, I do agree because I've I heard keep, it so many times. When I, yeah, when I listen to the Black Album, I always most of the time will skip that. But how many songs can you say skip that about? Unforgiven. Oh no, you know, skip, like yeah, skip that stuff. I like the stuff on there that's not as you know, not as overplayed as maybe that stuff was. I just think this record really challenged heavy metal as a genre in the sense that, like, well, it brought know, a forefront too. I mean. I mean, so like, let's see. By this point, they had done a couple of videos from the Justice album. They were right. being played on MTV a little bit. They were yeah. playing sold out arenas as headliners for other, you know, metal bands that weren't maybe on the backside of their career. Perhaps. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't. You know, yeah, they weren't Metallica famous. You know. And so then this brings us to the time period where they play with Guns and Roses. <laughs> <laughs> So who wants to tell the story in case somebody doesn't? I think it's probably the freshest in Josh's mind. So I'm gonna let him take the floor. Oh my gosh! Well, you know, Lars had this great idea, and I think that they come up with the concept at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. 
And Lars and Slash got this great idea to do a tour, a U.S. tour together. Well, it ends up happening in, the, I would think, what, the summer of 92? Is that what it was? I'm not sure what year it was, but it sounded like a great idea. Yeah, on, on paper, paper, it I sounded mean, yeah. like the two, they were, I mean, at the time, it's, it's two a, biggest heavy metal bands ever, Guns ever yeah. I hate Axl Rose with a passion. Don't care if you're listening to Axl. Hate that guy, but I respect Slash. And at the time, everyone knows Guns N' Roses and Metallica were the, I mean, they were it. They were the shit in the early 90s. Yeah. They do this tour together, and they had numerous concerts where Axel would throw these fits, cut their set short, Metallica would go on and play the extra half hour, you know. Save the day, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah basically, we're here for the fans, we're here to play music, you know, Axel throw these prima donna, prima donna little attitudes, you know, they're at, what, Montreal, Hetfield goes up in flames, Gets yeah. injured. You know, Metallica's in serious doubt. He gets seriously injured, standing in some pyrotechnics. The fans destroy the city. Yeah, yeah. there's a huge riot. <laughs> Axl Rose could have gone on and played this nice set to cover instead. Throws this big, you know, big fit. There's the in short that the tour was just a disaster. They couldn't get along. Axl Rose's attitude got in the way, and, and it's just... Yeah, and for all the people that say great. that white people don't riot and loot, this is an example of white people rioting and looting. Watch Montreal's concert <laughs> or Toronto. One of them was either. And Montreal this is or Canada, Toronto. yeah, you know, Canadians, where they have soccer riots like Europe, right? Canadians yeah, pretty much. Were flipping cars, they were burning things. I mean, they were they were pretty fired. pissed off, you know. That they were promised the greatest metal show ever. That's and, you right. Know, they, and you know, yeah, and then they got Axl Rose. They got he got they two got a songs crispy James Hetfield. You know, it's. Axel was drafted to sing for ACDC. Oh my gosh! Has hey. anybody seen pictures of him recently? I mean, he is. I, yeah, he's good. a thing. Yeah, yeah. he wants hey. you to think he looks the same. Don't yeah. worry, guys. There will be a Guns N' Roses podcast. Yeah, yeah, Anywho. probably sooner than later. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it was strange with Metallica in that they put out Black Album, and I would say most of what the underground metal fans. It had to say, well, I mean, if you're a true underground metal fan, you stop listening to Metallica whenever and, they put out a video for one. Yeah, right? I was going to say Justice, but they would have been like, done. Or like all the way back <laughs> Maybe when. Maybe the uh, puppets would have been done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the way back when they put out Lightning, it's like, oh, there's a melodic oh, intro. Done. This is, I'm done. What the hell it's is It's not Fade like, to black. kill them all, you know, <laughs> Exodus for life. Uh, but, you know. No, that was um, just Bailoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, man. Meanwhile, Mestane's over going, what the hell is going? What did I do wrong here? Right. I need to quit drinking. Yeah, we're purpose we're purposely not talking about Megadeth because it will take over the entire That's podcast. That's right. Like I said, I love Megadeth still. Um But you know, the thing is is that, you know, everything that the underground metal fans were afraid of happening with the black album happened. absolutely happened on load. I mean Yep. My God. I mean bluesy dare I say country cut our hair in places cut our hair we're Wearing business suits, suits. we yeah. smoke cigars we drink scotch and wine oh uh, I mean does load success okay does load succeed as a heavy metal record absolutely not nope uh because it, it is not a heavy metal record if you go through the metal checklist it does not check anything off a there. single <laughs> a single box no um it is just a bluesy hard rock record that i wish i could say was bad but really oh, isn't. i still you know? love load there is day. very little wrong with load and reload absolutely i and mean you kind of have to talk about them both yeah the can same we just time. talk about them as if load, they're the reload same album the same. they it's were recorded at the same album. time yeah they basically had 40 songs and just <laughs> whittled yeah. it down to those two albums. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... 
Well, I, I, again, it's another another step forward in their career. It's a progression of where they were in the mid '90s to the late '90s. It was a different style of music. I mean, by that point, you had bands like Limp Bizkit, Corn, uh, Rage, like all those bands. It was more like a heavier seven string sound, Seven Dust. I mean, stuff like that. The rise of new metal. Yeah, 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 new metal. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, so the the traditional sense of you know '80s metal, I think, was gone by this point in the '90s. There was no such thing as, at least to me, there was no such thing as metal metal well okay so underground metal fan here is going to step in for a couple of seconds (laughs) ladies and gentlemen Um, underground metal fan death metal was huge in the 90s um bands like bands like carcass obituary um you know all entombed there there were amazing metal bands in the 90s the thing is though is all the people that quit listening to metallica back with justice and those those are all the guys that are still listening to you know like exodus yeah. and testament and entombed and there's nothing wrong with any of the bands i'm saying right now no gosh no but here's the thing you've got metallica who is at this point has blasted off into space and is no longer on the same planet as those bands not they're, necessarily they just won a grammy on the planet. Black album, okay. They're, you right. know, what metal yeah. band was going to be? Doing I mean, that? at this point, Metallica has investors Jethro to Tull. please. You know, they do. They, they absolutely. Ixnay on the Ethro Tell. Okay, well, so they've got investors to please now. Okay, they're the band that you know they don't want your girlfriend to just show. They they don't want a guy to show his girlfriend two songs off of a Metallica record. They want the girlfriend to buy the record at this point. Yep. Um, and so more heartfelt songs, Unforgiven 2, you know, jumps out there at me. Um, there are just songs. Those songs are written for everybody. They basically hit the jackpot with Inner Sandman. So you get a lot of songs like Fuel. That was a springboard. And The Sandman. Memory Remains. Um, King Nothing, which King is nothing, just nothing, King Sandman nothing again. King one. Nothing. Yep. Th- those are all Inter Sandman type songs mm-hmm. that the band felt like they absolutely had to make in order to keep people happy. And they were still great songs because you got to remember that these are still some of the best songwriters that exist. So, yeah, I'm sorry. They're not playing a thousand beats a minute. And, you know, Headfield's not barking out as if it's still 1983. But, you know, you, you've got 90s Metallica is not the same Metallica that existed in the 80s. And I think we're at a point now where we can safely say that, you know, it, it represented itself for its time. Well, and don't forget, this was the first set of albums, too, that I think you had lyrical and musical, you know, uh, influences from all four of the guys rather than James and Lars right. going off for six months writing everything and then coming and said, all right, this is what you're playing, you know, Jason, this is what you're playing, Kirk. Right. Well, you well, know, that, you that, could definitely that's feel the, the distinction that they made because historically it was give us your ideas and then we'll go off and we'll figure go off it and out. write something about it. I mean, right. if anybody needs proof that Kirk Hammond is the greatest guitarist ever, he actually wrote the famous Sandman riff yeah. that everybody loves, and he had a cassette tape that for years. Yeah, I mean it's you know, but this was the album where they said these are the songs. Now let's write them together, which led to historically very stressful recording sessions of to use Bob Rock's explanation, figuring it out. <laughs> well, sure, you got four guys in the room together trying to come up. You know, was come somebody. on, Mister Guitarist of the Year. I know, Mister People's Choice. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You won Guitar World three times. Come on, Kirk. Right. <laughs> um, if you had to pick one, what is the weirdest Metallica song that exists? Mama said. See, I I always just I just exclude that one altogether because that would be the the given. I think if you I think for me if you take that one out, where the wild things are is a weird. Okay. 
I love that song. Okay. But it is such a weird, weird song for Fair me enough. for those two albums. Fair enough. I, There's I, not a weird song alone. It's Reload that gets really your just opinion really is, out e- there. is equal to mine. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just um, like, this is awkward. I like it in a weird way, but as much as I like it, when I think weird and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, I think of the I Disappear single. And the reason I'm talking about it now it's is been a long time since I heard this. This is the last I time. I just listened to it yesterday. Yeah. I Disappear was the last you time you heard, in my opinion, this the load, Metallica. The load, reload sound. Yeah. Because yeah. we heard I Disappear when it was on Mission Impossible 2's mm. soundtrack. And we all said, if this is what the new album sounds like, I'm cool with it. Yeah, bring Along, it. Alongside with Limp Biscuit was on that soundtrack, right? <laughs> uh, no, Godsmack. Yeah, you know, it oh, was yeah, Limp yeah, Biscuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Title track. Uh, and this was a weird time too. I remember like you'd have like Corn, Limp Biscuit, and Metallica on tour. You know, well, and this song led Summer to the, the Napster tour. stuff too. Yeah. Like uh-huh. this was this song was the re- this is what pushed Lars over the edge was the, for the Napster oh, yeah. flop suit was this song here. Yep. I always I love this song, but I always feel like the song was incomplete. Like it was rushed on a oh, time yeah. crunch. Like if they could have been able to put the time and resources in the song, it could be so much better. Yeah, such a better track. Well, I mean, Hetfield spends most of the song just going yeah. yeah. I'm thinking, which of is stuff like, on the dude, spot. way to just be the stereotype right now. You know, <laughs> like you know, you're. Uh. There, there was that. There's that that picture online of it's got James Hetfield with his mouth open, and it's all like, now we don't know what he's saying here, but there's a 97 percent chance that it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you got a gimmick, you got to go with it, right? right. Yeah, I mean, signature Hetfield yell. Now, now speaking as a guy that predominantly listens to metal, I will have to say that Load and Reload was my first kind of heartbreak disappointment. With a band because this just wasn't my Metallica, and it was the reason for that was because metal fans tend to take ownership over bands that they like. I don't know what it is; it's kind of assholeish behavior, but it is absolutely true. Oh, knowing you, yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. I mean, it was <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe just the assholeish behavior, right? But uh, no, so I remember not liking Load and Reload. Like, like my official answer was. Nope, These albums suck. You know, they're terrible. Which wasn't necessarily true, but, you know, um, I listened to bands at the time that still played heavy metal. So, you know, I, I just, I was like, I'm done with Metallica. And I think a lot of that had to do, too, with the fact that I listened to most of their material at the same time. And so as a metal fan, I remember thinking, like, well, these records are clearly better than these records. Instead of really listening to it as if in the over the passage of time, you know, like it was really supposed to be listened to. Uh, so needless to say, I was very interested whenever I heard that Metallica, because they disappeared for a while after they released the song I Disappear. Um, but Damn they, you, Napster. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they disappeared for a while. The whole Napster thing happened. Everybody hates Metallica, blah, 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 Not blah, everybody. blah. Not everybody. Yeah, a lot of people hated Metallica <laughs> during that time because, you know, for some reason Metallica is, you know, super... Evil for releasing they're almost, something, they're putting time like and effort the, into something, and people taking it for free. They're almost the equivalent of the evil empire at this time. But what I don't understand, though, like I mean, as an adult, I see Metallica as being like a hundred percent justified about oh, Napster. Sure, like, sure. I mean, and it's really like, you know, we release this, we put time and effort and money into it, and you people just took it for free. And I used to use the argument that, like, well. I'm not really. It's not really the same thing as me stealing a physical item because I'm just taking that physical item and I'm making an exact duplicate of it and I'm taking it with me. 
regardless, that's still a sale that should have been made. Sure. Um, and, you know, yeah, you could say, well, Metallica makes millions of dollars and blah, 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 blah. So does that mean it's okay for me to go to Best Buy whether and just it's a, take whether it's a whatever I want from them? Whether it's a million or a dollar, it's stealing, stealing. It's stealing I mean, it is still stealing is. because stealing is an action that you make. It's not represented. It's not contextual. It, it's literally you stole this from someone else, you know. Um, so it's funny, it's funny that I have that opinion now because I very much was not of that opinion at the time mm-hmm. because I was a kid, I had no money and I only could download music. Um, but you know, one, one thing I think we're forgetting to talk about though, was the fantastic garage Inc. Oh yeah. Cause that would have been in between <laughs> the sequel to garage days. Yeah. Yes. Garage days um, revisited. Yeah. And I mean, my God, uh, what a great record. Um, oh, so whiskey, you know, here's what's great about, here's what's great about garage Inc. Okay. Disc one, <laughs> disc one is the record that people that liked load and reload. I was gonna say those for. were the modern fans' record, and then and then the second disc was, was the hardcore was fans' me, record. Yeah. yeah, it pretty much. I think whenever I opened it up, it just said Dan only listened to disc I was two. Say, you know, you had your covers of like Diamond Head. Oh, it was so mean, good, man! Like Misfits, oh. like you had everything. That merciful you could ever, fate, everything you could uh, dream for on that uh, second album. A merciful fate medley. I mean, oh, my. my God, you know, it was just amazing. You know. Uh, I just I love Garage Inc. and I even like Disc One too because oh Disc One's know. a classic as well. I mean, how could you not like it? Garage Inc. Yeah, is the it's, it's it made Pop Seeger even it's, cooler than he already was. It's charming. <laughs> Garage it's Inc. Charming. to me is the album that says, "Hey, for all the people that think these guys aren't real musicians, they actually do have influences, and mm-hmm. here are some of them." Yeah. Here's a whole lot of them. And then you hear... I remember thinking every Diamond Head sounded more like Metallica than Metallica. <laughs> I know, right? Because I like, started wow. listening to Diamond Head after you that. You listen yeah. to Diamond Head, you're like, wow, they're good, but I think Metallica plays them better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really... Uh, Garage Inc. was definitely what I needed. It got me interested in the band again. Um, and I was very intrigued once, you know, James is back from... Uh, he's back from rehab, you know... Metallica's back, and I remember the very first thing I read about St. Anger was, it's going to be Justice again. Oh, my God. They touted that for so long. The Justice again. It's a revisit to the aggression and hardcore. It's Yeah, it's like, it, you know, it's it's Justice again, unless you, like, kill them all, because then it's kill them all again. I tell yeah. you what, had they not said it was going to be a return of Justice and just said there's a new album coming out, I think it might have been a little bit more well-receptive. Would have done would have done better. Yeah, uh, I think, I think if they had just been honest. Better. I think if they had just been honest about it oh, from the sure. beginning and just said, this is going to be an extremely raw, underproduced record. Yeah, this is a work record. in progress album, guys. Um, no. it, it may not be your favorite. It's not a record for every Everyone. That's right. I yep. mean, they're Metallica, right? At this point, they don't have to sell that many records. No. I'm going to I'm gonna play a game with Electra the listener. Electra Records is okay. like, no, they needed to sell. All right, sell. listener, I want you to play along. <laughs> when I count down from three, I'm going to play a random song from St. Anger, and you're going to hear the natural reaction of Josh and Dan <laughs> to whatever that song might be, and that'll tell you really kind of how we all feel. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, play along if you wish. Uh, pick a track, and in three, two, one... No. <laughs> what is this like a live track? Exactly. <laughs> Wait, is this a bonus song? Like, is this like at a live venue? No, no, no they're just warming up. Uh, oh, it's a like demo. This is no. dress rehearsal. Demo track. Okay. <laughs> sound check. Sound check. This is the Invisible Kid. Dude, can you hear those drums? I know. <laughs> I mean, know, I can't. You know, I can't unhear them now. You know, Steve Albini <laughs> said on a Zayo documentary about how he had listened to Saint Anger so much that he heard. Oh, I'm gonna get the number wrong. Four distinctive, horrible snare sounds. Oh. Yeah. I'm surprised it was only four. <laughs> it's, it, I, dear Bob Rock, 
if I ever meet you in person, I will have this conversation with you. How does making the band sound bad on purpose mean that they're playing in a garage together for the first time? It doesn't even sound like they're playing in a garage. That's the bad Metallica part. came from the garage and Kill 'Em All sounded great. Also, you are Bob Rock. If they wanted to sound like a band recording in a garage for the first time, why wouldn't they go find some kid in his garage and be like, hey, we're Metallica. You want to record us? Get why is t- James Hetfield... Do ten of those! Why does James Hetfield sound like he's in a million-dollar recording studio recording the vocals badly, uh, but the rest of the band sounds like they're in a garage? Well, I they, feel, they I, don't. The snare just sounds like crap. No, but like James Hetfield's like way louder than the rest of the mix. Well, by the way, it was mixed. He is using an SM78, which is one of the greatest microphones of all time. I just, I don't get it though. Like, why does Other he have to be so much louder? I mean, if the idea was to be sound underground, okay. <laughs> Hint: I've played with bands in garages before, and I guarantee I'm the only person that was not heard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's why I started screaming, you know, like I literally had no volume, you know. This is just an album I almost feel like they came to the table with no they just tried to write it as they recorded it, if that makes sense. Like in previous years they have all had their ideas on tape. Like Kirk James had riffs on eighty and the, you know, they were go with it from there and roll with it. This reminds me of an album to where Headfield comes back from rehab, they come to the room, they're like, All right, let's make an album. Does anybody get any ideas? No. All right, well, let's just go in the room and just play what we feel, play what happens, and this is what happened. This was, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like an a, like an album that they, I don't know, it's hard to put into words. Like, this is an album they didn't go in there and, like, they just didn't feel it. It was just kind of just really weird vibe, like, like force. Like, we got to put out a record, we got to put out an album, it's in our contract, here it is. <laughs> Every time I hear this, I just think... How was everything before this so top notch? And then this, this even is the stuff like that I didn't like, and... even the stuff that I didn't like that was not in styles of music that I enjoyed was still really good for that style of yeah. music, you know. Um, and then you're listening to this and you're like, well, this isn't even good metal. If Metallica can't play good metal anymore, I mean, what's the even the point? You know, and and, and list we say no solos, none at all. Right, and you know, it'd be different if Metallica was a band that had flirted with no solos before. Like I, I, and I remember, and I'll and I'll never forget the day listening to this. The day it came out, listening through the entire album, and go done and going, what the what the hell just happened? There's no guitars. Like what what is this the direction we're going? Because as a hardcore fan, I don't know that I could be on board. Like. Right. I've been on board with everything else. I, you know, if if it would make sense for the song that I have the solos, fine. But it just seems like they went out of their way to not do a solo. Like there were songs to where I felt like a solo would be coming or should be coming. Well, that's why and, Kirk Hammett basically <laughs> said, "And like it's like, oh, right here, going to be this awesome. Okay, no, we're going to go into a riff. Cool. <laughs> well, it's like." Exactly what Kirk Hammett even said. Because they're like, well, we don't want it to sound old school and sound dated, so we're not going to put guitar solos because that sounds dated. And Kirk Hammett goes, no, it makes it sound dated to right yeah, now. There was when those people, people don't didn't like, do solos at the guess, time. Guess what? Everyone plays solos now. You yeah, know, like, like I mean, it, you know, in 2016, if you call yourself a metal band, people want to know how good your solos are. Yep. You know. And I brought this up earlier, but that is criteria number one for why I think we were given a bad product on purpose. I think Metallica post load and reload must have decided 
we can't do the Black Album again. So how do we get to that point? Okay, well, we can either try to put out something and people will call it mediocre or brilliant. We can put out something bad, treat it like the greatest thing ever. People will still buy it. And then the next thing we put out will be mediocre, but it'll be so much better than the bad thing. That people will like, like La- it again. That sounds like a Lars idea right there. Sounds like a George <laughs> Lucas idea. Because yeah. Yeah, uh, because yeah. I, I hate to burst people's bubble about some kind of monster. And I'm not saying James Hetfield didn't have real issues. I'm not saying they didn't have real edited, issues. Hardcore. I'm saying they have been filming themselves from day one. Yeah. So they didn't just happen to be filming and then have this documentary happen. No, no, they were filming always and still are can for we, the Metallica Club. Can we listen to something else? I was, gonna, I was about to ask. Uh, would you like to? Listen. There's, other There's one more thing I do want to bring up about this album, though. Can we hear Sweet Amber? It, it's obvious <laughs> when you when you listen to it and Kirk talks about the fact that they took out his souls on purpose. Weren't you the one that said the album sounded better on the radio? Because then we got the radio mix of some kind of monster, and it sounds better. So I agree. it was mixed badly on purpose. Here's the thing about that record. Who's Metallica touring with at this point? Uh, they were headlining, so they would have been a support band. Well, I seen them when they on Korn. this tour. Who they're they were playing with? Corn on this on the, the yeah. Well, I don't know. When they were here in St. Louis, they were here with Godsmack and a couple other no Godsmack. Bands. That's interesting because. Um, doesn't this sound kind of like something yep. Godsmack would play? Yeah. Um, it's kind of one of those, like, I feel like the musical approach, it's certainly not heavy metal, because no. I could accept something that sounded like and Justice for All that was just recorded badly. Everybody wants to pick apart how badly St. Anger was recorded. I listen to underground black metal bands and death metal bands. I don't care about the recording quality, Okay. If they had recorded something along the lines of Injustice for All or even Kill 'em All, but it just was recorded badly, that would have been fine. But what I hear is a record that is like, okay, what's aggressive mean now? Corn, Godsmack. Oh, sure. Limp Biscuit, that stuff's aggressive. It's almost like they were trying to stay relevant. That stuff doesn't have solo, even though Godsmack had solos. But, uh, Ooh, wow. you know, the same solo know. on every song. Yeah, I was going to say, it's well, fine. But, I, and I love Godsmack. I do too. I do too. But I mean, I'm just saying, like, uh, it just sounds like they were trying to make something that would appeal to kids now. You know, um, and they're like, well, we need to be aggressive because we're Metallica and, you know, we're supposed to be aggressive or whatever. Um, and it, when I hear St. Angler, I hear a badly made new metal groove type record. Well, sure. Every song sounded like it was in drop C. Like, yeah, well, every song was in drop yeah, C. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, it was, it was almost, yeah, it was just a crappily put together you know because i don't just take issue with the recording quality i take issue with the actual material yeah Uh, no i I agree it does sound like yeah every song was in drop c but nobody ever talks about that all anybody ever talks about like something it was you know trying to keep up with what was popular at the time i mean so then like okay so magnetic comes out right like what a thousand years later it seemed like i know (laughs) like four (laughs) years later something like that four or five yeah and i'm listening to it and i'm like it sounds like Metallica. It's very Metallica-y. You know, it, it sounds like... Well, it doesn't really sound like it, though. I mean, it sounds like... Oh, I don't even know what to compare it to, because don't fool yourself into thinking that albums like Hardwired and Death Magnetic are a throwback to the old sound, because they absolutely are not. No. Um, I hear a band that's like, okay, we're going to play fast, 
Shorter. We're gonna throw a some heavier. We're gonna throw some, yeah, throw you know a little bit of modern heaviness into yep. there. But like like we've been talking about since the beginning of this podcast, it sounds kind of flat. The pun the big moments don't punch you like they no. should punch you. Um it's almost like you're listening to this album going, is my treble turned up all the way? Because I don't hear really any of the thump or the heavy right. thickness and, to and it. And that's that Rick Rubin yep. style of mixing mm-hmm. that um, many just, of his records are known for. It's very flat. But again, it's kind of like, you know, um, it's better than St. Anger, but it's one of those things where does that make it good? You know, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones was better than Star Wars The Phantom Menace. But does that make it good? But does that make any of the albums the Empire, you know, like the equivalent metal equivalent of the Empire Strikes Back? Like, not even close. Like, it's not, you know, it's not really a contest. So, but we're kind of in an age now where there it seems like there's a lot of hand holding, uh, which is hmm. what I'm going to talk about in hmm. the Mortification hmm. podcast. Uh, there's a whole lot of like, well. I like it because I like Metallica, and I'm just not used to liking anything else. <laughs> so, you know, there are a lot of people who don't listen to heavy metal. Like, I've met a lot of metalheads in my life that say, oh, I'm a huge metalhead. I was like, oh, yeah, what bands do you like? Well, I like Metallica. Okay, well, you know, there was a plural there. What bands do you like? You know? Uh, the I like answer, Motley Crue. <laughs> right. The, an- the answer can't be just Metallica, you know, um... And I think this is a good example of that in the sense that, like, well, the only metal band I listened to is Metallica, and I didn't like St. Anger, but this album's a lot better because it sounds more like Metallica because it's recorded better. But I don't think that the I don't think that the material on Death Magnetic is really all that exceptional. Um, and no, again, it's like, well, why would you expect that from the band? Because that's literally what I got for the entire beginning of the band's existence was. Everything that I heard was better than the last thing I heard. Kick ass, kick ass. Just too overdrawn. I feel like I feel like Hardwire is more of a combination of all of their sounds from black up until the present. Yeah. Like a summarizing of all of their albums between them. I don't think they're ever going to duplicate or come close to anything from the first, you know, three albums. I no. just don't think it's possible. Even four, I mean, they're not going to come to anything close to Justice ever again either. No. This this is something I don't want about, to try either. This is something about classic bands that has always kind of existed. They, like, they end up in an area where they're not necessarily popular anymore, but they still have a fan base to serve. Mm, right. You know, this might blow some people's minds. Def Leppard still makes new records. Oh, yeah. And has always made new records. Now, I how many, don't care. How many people knew that? <laughs> and I'm... if you listen to them, you'd be like, this is okay. But if you happen to go to a Def Leppard show, you want to hear them play Photograph. Metallica has this fan base that when they go to the show... They want to hear Sandman. Play Creeping Death. They want to play Creeping Death, but they still have to remind them they exist. Yep. So that's where we get Hardwired from. Hardwired, way better than Death Magnetic. And lyrically, musically, the way it's composed, everything, aggression, the feel behind it. And and every time I listen to it, though, like I hear, this is, this is the, uh, I'm going to call it the fourth iteration of James Hetfield's guitar tone. <laughs> It's identical to Death Magnetic, so he's clearly locked in on something he likes. Right. 
And I've watched him talk a little bit about it, about how his new pickups, he, you know, he likes the more passive sound, but he wants that mixed with that active pickup sound. And okay, it's it's the standard James Hetfield. I have two amps and they sound different and it sounds massive when it's me. Cool, dude. You can you can pull that off. You're James Hetfield. But everything but the drums sounds the same. The vocals sound the same, the bass sounds the same, the guitars sound the same. The drums just are mixed better. And if one comparison I've seen a lot online is uh, Death Magnetic versus Death Magnetic on Guitar Hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Which is hilarious when you when you actually think about how much time somebody that's put awesome. into taking the tracks out of Guitar Hero and remixing Death Magnetic and said, "Here's how it sounds." There's also uh, frequently, you know, commented on and Justice for James. <laughs> where you get the Guitar Hero bass lines that are edited back into uh, Justice. James, if you're listening, nice. please. Well, that's all we want, man. It, you don't even it, have to do if any I, work. If I, I sat, know, right? if I sat down with Jason Newstead today and said, and he said, all right, what do you want to learn? I'd be like, can you just play Justice for me so I can see exactly what you're doing? Because I can't hear it. But Hardwired is a good Metallica album. As a fan of Metallica, I am glad Hardwired exists. Mm. I have been listening to it almost constantly since it came out, which is yep. what I like to do with albums and bands that I like. It's still not... Um, I, I don't want to put it away a week from now. I want to keep listening to it. Amen to that. It still doesn't have the build-up progression that I'm a big fan of. Yeah, but I don't know that you're going to get that from them ever again, though. I don't know. I mean... Well, that makes me sad. Like, why I, not? I, like, I, I hate to, I hate to bring it down, like, but I just don't think that they're at that stage in their life, their career anymore. I just don't, I don't think you're gonna get these epic sounding, you know, this puppets build you up, build you up. Sure. I just, I don't, I just, I think this no, is, and I, this I is what this you. is. This is where they are. Like, this is where they're at. This is definitely just. This is definitely a, a much improved album over the last few. I didn't hate Death Magnetic. Like, it's, I just feel like it's. It could definitely have sounded a lot better. He does. I do see some of the riffs in this album do sound very death epic, but to me they sound heavier. Maybe playing in a you know a step down or something or half a step down, they sound a little bit ballsier, a little beefier. Like I said, it's got that more Metallica beef sound than you know the last couple albums definitely have had. Well, I just think the material is better on Hardwired than on Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic could have been good production quality aside like i'm really i don't get caught caught up that much on production quality uh it's really to me just the strength of the material alone and on on magnetic um james vocal hooks just weren't there um they were weird like if you ever notice in some of those songs like it's almost like he fit too many lyrics into like a into one line yeah 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 like you don't have to do 17 words in one line james like we can't you know you could shorten that out there were definitely something that would drive me nuts trying to sing, you know, like you have a song of his, and it's like, what are you doing? Like, well, it's do like some he... rhythm, but you know, you're like trying to punch seven, especially in the the, the opening track. Like, yeah, what, uh, like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like he went into the <clears throat> studio with the lyrics and, oh, yeah, and decided pre-made. to add them to the songs yeah, at, yeah. while recording them. It was just a weird vibe for that. It just doesn't seem like a lot of work was put into the vocal output. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't on Kill 'Em All either, but you know, the instrumental was good. It worked out really. It worked out really good on Kill 'Em All. Did not so much on uh, on Death Magnetic. Hey, no. the, the vocals on Anesthesia were awesome. Some of Bass the best. solo, take one. But the biggest issue it says I everything have, you need to know. I want to be that guy there. The biggest issue I have with metal in general nowadays is that 
you know, we're, yeah, we're criticizing. Okay. We are being critical and there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of negativity online, but I would say as an overall band, if Metallica quit now, you know, can we really fault them for a few bad albums out of tons of really good ones? Uh, nope. <laughs> you really can't. I mean, overall, the band is still rocking a pretty heavy A minus, you know, um, and yet they still will sell out soccer arenas yeah, and well, venues everywhere they go. Yeah, but I mean Nickelback sells out soccer arenas and you know. They do not shut up. Yes, they do. Don't tell lies about Nickelback. I'm Nickel, not telling Nickel lies. Hack. I got nothing but good things to say about Nickelback. I bet you do. No, seriously. <laughs> for a band that gets how to make hit singles I that's mean, actually sell. Right. It's nothing to do in Nickelback's case. It has nothing to do with quality. It's just what people want to hear. Oh, guy, now he knows how to write a heck catchy hook, yeah, and bam, so, you sell it, exploit it. So I mean, I got nothing but respect for that as a poor person, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, <laughs> Metallica, Dan, what do you say? Uh, it's good, and I, I'm I'm pleased with the direction that the band is headed in. Still, um, if they quit tomorrow, I would still be a satisfied customer. Josh. Oh, still the greatest band of all time. There's no doubt there. And I'm, I'm curious to think, though, is this it? Is this the last album for them? Is this how they ride into the sunset? Or do you think we get another one, another two? I mean, I'm not really are... sure. Uh, they're solid. Their lineup's pretty solid now. Let me ask you this. Do you think they should stop with this, or do you think there's there's enough left for another one? Do you think they try and go better? Or do you think this is where they should top out at? I think Metallica is past the point of being innovative. Oh, I don't. If that answers there. your question, um, in, in the sense that you know, do I think that they're ever going to top this record? Should they top this? Yeah, I think they can. I think this incarnation of Metallica could easily top uh, Hardwired and Death Magnetic. Um, I think they. I think that this version of the band could definitely get better. Uh, what we're going to end up with probably is going to be something very different than what we're used to. Probably, but I think they could top it for sure. We need S and M too. That's what we need. There you go. Give me a give me another concert with that. Right. Any of that. Hardwired to S and M. That's right. There you go. <laughs> could you cool. just uh, could you just imagine? Yeah, trying to do uh, some kind of monster with a symphony. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> Frantic. Uh, you know, I think general consensus is is that you know, well, we never got Joe's opinion. We. <laughs> oh, Metallica as a whole. Yeah. Um. Most influential players I've ever listened to. Mm. Uh, still the backbone of my personal guitar style and a band that I will never get tired of listening to. I agree 100% there. But, 10 years, 15 years from now, I'll still be listening to Killing Them All, Black, Justice. Yeah. And saying anger every once in a while. And I think, well, I'll put it this way. Actually, I'll put it this way with a question. Dan, to wrap it up, what's your album of the week? What does everybody need to go out and listen to right now? Right now. Um, I've been listening to just old stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, well, anything, like any album. Doesn't matter what band. Right now, uh, my favorite album that I've been listening to is probably uh, an album called Left Hand Path by the band Entombed. It's death metal from Sweden. But it's not Swedish death metal. It sounds... Like old school death metal, like Florida death metal. Everybody Florida. needs to go listen to that. And if you're not listening to that, you need to be listening to Polar Similar by Norma Jean. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, uh, pretty soon we're going to have uh, another discussion 
Uh, it's going to be on the band Mortification, who is a Christian metal band. And uh, we'll have that up for you um, soon, I guess, after uh, after this one, if anybody cares. So That's okay, Dan. I don't have an album to throw out there. Oh, you got one? Oh, hell yeah. If anybody's ever heard of or he goes to see. <laughs> I, yeah, I got you, Dan. He likes you, okay? <laughs> um, and no, in all seriousness, I've been into this band Ghost for a few years now, and they've got an album that's been out a little while called Meloria that's just... It's just it's a good band, and yeah, they're from I want to say Sweden to Finland somewhere in that area. They just know how to produce metal bands. Something That's in the, the water intro. over there, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, maybe it's the the lack of sunlight. I don't know. The sun <laughs> the never cold. shines yeah. in Sweden. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, if you ever get a chance to check out Malaria from Ghost, definitely a great album. We'll great do band. so. And on that note, this has been episode one with discography discussions. We'll see you guys next week. 